You are listening to You Were Made for This, the podcast to help transform your relationships into the best they can be. Welcome to You Were Made for This. If you find yourself wanting more from your relationships, you've come to the right place. Here you'll discover practical principles you can use to experience the life-giving relationships you were made for. And now here's your host, John Sertalic. Thank you, Carol. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 12, Relationship Skills Level 2. This is a continuation of our series on the four levels of relationship skill. In Episode 11 last week, I mentioned that the first step in improving our relationship skill is to assess the level we are at in our relational development. Knowing our starting point helps us see how far we have to go to become more skilled in our relationships. It can motivate us to move to higher levels of relational expertise. Well, let me run through the four levels real quickly, then we'll come back and focus the rest of our time on level two. I hope as we go through these, you will see yourself in one of these four stages. The first stage is level one, unconsciously unskilled. This is where we don't have a clue as to how unskilled we are when it comes to our relationships. This is what we talked about at length last week. It's actually the most dangerous level of relationship skills. It's dangerous when we don't know what we don't know because we can cause a lot of harm to people out of sheer ignorance of relational principles. There can also be a bit of innocence in being unconsciously unskilled in our relationships. Several weeks ago, for example, I took my twin grandsons out for breakfast and they started talking about how they were getting along with their 13-year-old sister. They were laughing about something they did or said to her to to tease her. It irritated her, but these almost 17-year-old boys thought she was just overreacting. I then told them something I learned a long time ago, and that was that unlike guys, most girls generally do not like to be teased. Guys tease each other all the time. It's just a way we connect with each other. Not so with girls. I wasn't aware of this dynamic when I was their age because I was unconsciously unskilled when it came to relating to girls in this department. It took me a long time to figure this out. While I was talking, the boys looked like they were listening. We'll see if it translates into new behavior. They're good kids. I'm hopeful. So that's the first level of relationship skills, unconsciously unskilled. Level two is consciously unskilled. Here we are making mistakes in our relationships with people, and we know it. Things aren't going well, but we don't know what to do about it. That's level two. Level three is consciously skilled. This is where we see how we impact others for good or ill. We're aware of our skills and try to put them into practice. We try to get better at them. This is the most encouraging level. We'll talk more about this next week in episode 13. And finally, level four is unconsciously skilled. Here we are good at relating well with people and aren't even aware of it. We're not even trying. It's just part of who we are. This is the most joyful level of relationship skill. For the rest of this episode, I want to delve into level two, the consciously unskilled level. Again, this is where we can tell we are making mistakes in our relationships, but we don't know what they are. 
We notice how others may have better relationship skills than we do, and we wonder how they do what they do. We wish we could be like them. This is the most hopeful level in relational development. It's hopeful because when we become aware of our lack of relational expertise, it can motivate us to grow and learn the relational skills we lack. One example for me of being consciously unskilled has to do with accounting. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, but when when I opened my uh, executive recruiting business many years ago, I learned I had to deal with government reporting, with taxes, with how to record income and expenses, had to learn about debits and credits, and I just didn't have a clue what to do. I mean, I was a history major in college and an English minor, and I didn't know anything about accounting. I didn't know anything about business, never took a class in business, never had any exposure to that at all. I was consciously unskilled when it came to accounting. So I had to find an accountant or someone who could tell me what I didn't know I needed to know. What was frustrating for me was I didn't know what questions to ask. It wasn't until I started making mistakes that I came to understand the questions I need to have answered. My consciously unskilled relationship with accounting drove me to learn what I needed to know. While being consciously unskilled drove me to learn the skills I needed to learn, for some of us it can be quite different. It can become a recognition that I'm quite comfortable with the status quo. Thank you very much. I'm perfectly content with not improving my skill level. There are people like that. This reminds me of a conference I was at several years ago where a well-known big-name speaker was giving a series of plenary talks. Most of you would recognize his name if I mentioned it. He was a truly gifted and inspiring presenter. My role at this conference was to conduct an optional breakout session in between talks this keynote speaker was giving. My little talk was on the subject of listening, and to my surprise, this big-name speaker sat in on my workshop. When I finished, he came up to me and to compliment me on my little spiel, and at the end he said to me, You know, I'm not a very good listener. People tell me that I'm not a good listener. What was surprising to me was how he said it. It was with an air of recognition, with a metaphorical shrug of the shoulders, as if to say, well, that's just the way I am. I'm not a very good listener. He was conscious of his lack of skill in this area, but gave no indication of wanting to improve. Another time I was talking to a leader of a large ministry, and I told him I admired his leadership in one particular area. He accepted my compliment graciously, but then he said very wistfully the following, but I have the tendency to use people. You could tell this was something he didn't like about himself, something he wanted to change. There was a tone of regret in his voice. His response was so unlike the response of the conference speaker. Both of them were consciously unskilled in a particular relational area, but one didn't seem interested in changing, while the other one did. I've got two other stories that expose how consciously unskilled I was in two relational moments. They're kind of embarrassing, so I would just ask that you not share this with anybody. And, and, and Carol, you, you either, okay? Okay, good. Carol, Carol says her lips are sealed. Well, here's the first story. 
uh, Janet and I were visiting our daughter Jennifer, her her church uh, here in the area. I'm not sure why we were there, but we were, and we had just gotten back from a cruise uh, to the Caribbean. This was when I was uh, active in my recruiting business, and we could afford to do that. So we had just gotten back, I think, a, a day or two before, and my and and my daughter uh, introduced us uh, after the service to this missionary who had been uh, at their church for the last year who happened to be from the Virgin Islands, St. Thomas. And we had been uh, in St. Thomas, and I was really eager uh, to talk to her, to her and her husband. Well, I found out from my daughter uh, before we started talking that uh, this couple had been at their church for about a year in some kind of training program, and they were heading out to the Philippines uh, the following day. And you could just tell that this woman was just really sad about leaving. She talked about how she had made such great friends in this congregation, and it, it was just a hard day for her. They, they acknowledged her from, uh, from the pulpit during the service, and you could tell that they were very well-liked. And here uh, she was off to some unknown land, and uh, without all the relationships that she had developed uh, during the course of the past year, and so it was kind of a bittersweet moment for her. But when I heard that she was from St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands, I started talking to her about, about our vacation, about our, about our trip to the Virgin Islands. And I was talking about the weather, and she said, yeah, the weather's always nice there. And then I talked about a, uh, a couple of places that we had gone to, and she said, yeah, I'm quite familiar with that. And, and I kept bringing the, bringing the conversation back to my vacation, back to this glorious trip that Janet and I were on. Uh, totally oblivious to the sadness in this woman's uh, eyes and in her face and in her voice because I wanted to talk about my vacation. Well, uh, we left uh, the church, and on the way home, it just hit me. Man, what a, what a golden opportunity I had to not talk about my vacation but really just to listen to this woman going through this bittersweet time of having to leave. And instead, I wanted to talk about my vacation, which, you know, nobody wants to hear about our vacation, really. Um, and I just realized what a doofus I was, and I became acutely aware of, of how um, unconscious I was at how uns- unskilled I was. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks on the way home, and I really felt bad about myself, and I felt bad, bad about her. So that, that, that's the first story. The second story has to do with uh, our two grandsons, uh, Grant and George, uh, the day that they both came home from the hospital. They were quite premature. I think they were born at 30, 31 weeks. Um, they spent... Uh, six to eight weeks in the hospital. I think George came home earlier, and Grant was still there another couple of weeks. And it was uh, probably the most difficult time in our life because we were thinking about, um, you know, thinking about their mortality. Uh, it was nip and tuck whether they were going to make it because they were so premature. Uh, George weighed in at three pounds fifteen ounces when he was born. And two minutes later, uh, Grant popped out at one pound, 15 ounces. And they had significant challenges that kept them in the hospital uh, for six, six to eight weeks. 
And I remember praying so hard that that God would spare their life, and and He did. In fact, I think I think about this often that if God never answers any of my prayers, that would be okay because He answered this one, that that George and Grant would live. And it was just a, a quite an emotional time when they were finally released from the hospital. Well, her. Their parents had picked them up and had uh, taken taken them to their to their condo, and we came uh, maybe an hour or two later, and we were heading over there. And on the way there, about a mile from the from the condo, I kept thinking, "What a glorious day this is! I mean, a day that could easily have turned so much worse. You know, they easily could have could have died um, because of their, you know, being so premature." And I, I, I don't think I've ever been happier than, than the day that we headed to the condo because they were coming home and they had made it, and the prognosis for them was, was guarded but, but, but very good. So anyway, we, we pull into their condo unit, and we drive up to their particular unit, and then I saw something that just got me very upset. And again, this is quite embarrassing. What got me upset was in the parking stall in front of their condo was the car of our daughter-in-law's parents. And I, I'm embarrassed to even say that. I, I, I thought, what are they doing here? I mean, this is our moment. This is, this is the moment for, for us. And I just felt like something had been robbed from me. But then within a short time, I I just felt awfully uh, small and petty and embarrassed that that was my initial reaction because my daughter-in-law's parents are really great people they're they're very godly they love my son and our grandkids just as much as we we do and yet I just felt uh, this self-centeredness that had come over me um and uh, it, it just was just was embarrassing, and I realized here too that that I was relationally un, and unconsciously, uh, or consciously rather, consciously unskilled in how I viewed them and how I viewed this moment, and and even how I viewed viewed God. Why why couldn't God allow this to be more of a of a private time uh, for us? So each of these two stories, you know, show uh, a, a bit of movement from being uh, unconsciously unskilled, which I was uh, when I was feeling those way, those uh, particular emotions, uh, which was level one, to quickly moving to level two, where I was consciously unskilled, consciously aware of of what a doofus I was. Well, how does how does this happen? How do you how do you move from level one to level two, where you where you become aware of what you had become unaware of before? One thing I think has to happen is that we need to put a name to our relational deficiencies, so we know what to change. The example I gave earlier about my leader friend who said I tend to use people, he put a name to his shortcomings. I'm I'm using people, and I don't like it. I put a name to my shortcomings in these two stories I shared, self-centeredness. I was being completely 
self-absorbed, self-centered. Also, for me, the, the movement from uh, being unconsciously unskilled to consciously unskilled happens in, in several steps. The first step is acknowledging and becoming aware that I want to be a kind and caring person. It's the type of human being I want to be. It's, it's my persona. It's how I want to view myself. It's intrinsic to my value system. It's really who I want to be. That, that's step number one. Step number two is identifying the skill I lacked in a particular relational moment. In the two stories I shared, uh, that skill was other-centeredness. I just didn't have that at that particular time. Other-centeredness is a skill that takes the spotlight off of me in a particular interaction so it can shine on the other person. Step number three, which I think is the most important, is being open to the Holy Spirit to hold up a mirror to me when I wasn't even thinking about it in order to show me the disconnect between the person I wanted to be and the person I was in those two interactions. You know, in both stories, I was in a car when I felt um, this awareness of how unskilled I had been, and it kind of felt like the Holy Spirit was in the, the back seat of the car right behind me, uh, and he leans over and puts his head on my shoulder and his arm on my other shoulder and just says, you know, you kind of blew it at those two times. And I, I know you can, you can do better. So let's see if we can improve a little bit the next time you have an opportunity to interact in a situation like that. I really did feel that. So on the one hand, it was embarrassing. On the other hand, I think it was a very important um, interaction that I had with, with God uh, to point out the, how unskilled I was because it motivated me uh, to, really, to really do better. And that brings us to the fourth and, and final step to move from being unconsciously unskilled to consciously unskilled. And that is to resolve to do better, to learn from my mistakes, to ask God to remind me when I'm less than the person he created me to be and that I wanted to be. You know, I wish we could uh, all skip level two where we could go directly from being clueless in how we relate to people to level three where we're aware of relational skills we developed and when we put them into practice. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Well, by taking these four steps uh, of moving from unconsciously unskilled to level two, consciously unskilled, our life will be so much richer in our relationships. We'll be able to better monitor ourselves and become the person most of us want to be. We'll be more inviting and relationally attractive to people if we do the four things I mentioned. Here they are in summary. Number one, remind ourselves of the kind of person we want to be. Number two, give a name to the relational skill we lack. Number three, ask the Holy Spirit to point out the relational skills we lack and then to empower us with the relational competence he wants us to have. And finally, number four, resolve to do better and to be on the lookout for our relational weaknesses. Before I close, here's the main takeaway from today's episode, our show in a sentence. To improve our relationship skills, we must first identify our relational deficiencies 
in light of the person we want to be. Well, how can you respond to today's show? I think the best way is to ask the Holy Spirit to gently point out your relational flaws and ask him to empower you with the skills you need to be the person God created you to be. Coming up next week in episode 13, we'll take a look at the next level of relationship skill development, consciously skilled. If there's time, I may also be sharing some of the interesting feedback I've been getting from listeners from uh, recent episodes that I want to start sharing. Which reminds me, I would love to hear from you about this particular episode and stories of when you were consciously unskilled and how you dealt with it. It may very well be something that could really bless uh, other people, other listeners to our podcast. And now for the quote of the week. It comes to us from David Rossi, and he says, Scars remind us of where we have been. They don't have to dictate where we are going. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you find the um, podcast helpful, I'd appreciate it, a review, and certainly refer it on to other people. Also, if you missed uh, episode 11, uh, the first level of relationship skills, I'll be having a link to that in the show notes. So that's it for today and look forward to being with you next week. Thanks again. Bye for now.